little children come. Amen. All right, good. So um, we are. We started this uh, series two weeks ago called Awakening, and if you missed that uh, message two weeks ago, again, I encourage you to to check that out on our. Uh, all of our messages can be found on our website, but uh, it was not a. It, I wouldn't call it a feel-good message. It was a challenging message. This is a challenging series, but um, I know I need it, and I'm guessing you do too. Um, and so let's look in and see what the Lord would say to us today. It's this, the series is based around these verses from Romans chapter 13, um, verses 11 and 12. And do this understanding the present time, the hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber. Everybody say, wake up. Wake up. All right, that's good. Uh, because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over, the day is almost here, so let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. This week, I sat in on a... Um, an online event. It was a conversation between a couple of um, well-known North American church leaders and Pastor X. Pastor X is a pastor of a church in an undisclosed country where it is illegal to be a follower of Jesus or to preach the gospel. His face, in, during the event, his face was distorted and his voice was, uh, was masked uh, in order to preserve his identity, to hide his identity for his protection. Um, and, and Pastor X shared how he had been a, a good church kid in, uh, in the U.S. growing up and... Um, when he was about 16, he said he just got tired of the kind of the churchy games and, and became disillusioned with church and he, he left the church and he, he kind of went into the world for a while. And then God radically turned his life around through a number of circumstances. Um, at the same time, his, his wife-to-be was in a, in a country in the Middle East was a radical Muslim, um, but she had come to a point in her life as a young lady where she was uh, becoming disillusioned with the Islamic faith as well. And her mother was dying of multiple sclerosis. And her mother said, I just want to die. And the daughter said, I just want to die too. Why don't we do it together? And they made a suicide pact. And as they're preparing for that, they, um, a, a gospel message came over the satellite television that, that was on in the room. And, uh, and the man on, the, the preacher on this program said, uh, said these words, why do you want to kill yourself? Um, Jesus is the answer. He's, he's the hope that you're looking for. And so the mother called the number on the screen. 
And the daughter uh, was kind of trying to talk her away from it. She was still, um, you know, radically committed to Islam, even though she was disillusioned with the religion. And, and, uh, and after 20 minutes on the phone, the mother gave her heart to Jesus. Um, the daughter became furious, picked up the phone and was talking to the gentleman, and she talked to him for two hours. And after two hours, she finally, he said to her, um, you know, give, it, give Jesus one week. And if he doesn't change your life in one week, go ahead and kill yourself. Right? So, so she did. She prayed a sinner's prayer. She said, all right, I'm going I'm to give, you know, give this a ch- chance, but w- in a week when this hasn't made any difference, I'm going to get on public television. I'm going to publicly kill myself to show that your Jesus is a fake. The next morning, 5 a.m., her mother starts screaming in the next room. And she goes in to see, she's like, my mom's dying. What's going on? And her mom's dancing around her bedroom walking around, uh, no problem. She takes her to the hospital to get checked, and there is no sign of MS in her body. So, um, so they become, f- and, and right there in the, in the, you know, as she's getting these tests and the results of these tests, uh, the medical workers know this is an absolute miracle. You don't just get rid of MS, right? And uh, so five of them come to Jesus. Boom, right there. So when the week was up, the girl, the lady called the guy back and she said, I've become a follower of Jesus and I've led five people to Jesus. What do I do now? Um, so she became a, an underground church pastor on the spot, basically. Um, a little time later, she, she emigrates to the U.S., meets Pastor X. They get married. But in a short time, she's experiencing depression. He's like, what's, what's the matter? What's, what's going on? And uh, she, said, she said, this country is under the spell of a satanic lullaby, and I'm falling asleep. I cannot stay here. so they left and they went back to her country of origin and they became underground pastors where they are pastoring today. Um, And in the, in the interview and the conversation that was going on, they, uh, they talked up with him and, uh, and together about how uh, the church is growing incredibly quickly in places where it is illegal to be a follower of Jesus. In fact, uh, if you could, can you guess what nation is where the church is growing the fastest in the world right now? It's in Iran. It's in Iran. Fastest growing church in the world right now is in the, in the, the nation of Iran. And, uh, and the five fastest growing, ch- five nations with the fastest growing church, all five of the top nations, are all places where it is illegal to be a follower of Jesus. Right? 
Now, now don't get me wrong here, but um, Western Christians are, are all upset about their religious rights being taken. But if the fastest growing churches in the world are the places where Christianity is illegal, then what are we afraid of? I'm not saying we shouldn't stand up for our rights when the moment is needed or whatever. But when we spend all of our energy focusing on our rights and not spending energy on living out the mission of Jesus that he's given us, then why do we think we're asleep? That got it quiet. I think if we focus on, on preaching the gospel, on sharing the gospel, of being on the mission that Jesus has given us, and if they put us in jail, they put us in jail. Right? They just better not be putting us in jail because we're being obnoxious about our rights. Because I don't think we get any points for that. Two weeks ago, we introduced this subject of spiritual slumber. and We talked about how it's really easy for us as followers of Jesus, and it always has been. We talked about how in, even in the Gospels and in Paul's writings, he talked about it. It's, it can be really easy for us to slip into a, a you know, complacency and, and a sleepiness about our, our walk with Jesus. Um, and to lose the sense of forward motion uh, and passionate connection with God that we're meant to live with. Jesus wrote a, church, a letter to a church like this um, that, had, that had fallen into this kind of state. And, uh, and we find that letter in Revelation chapter 3, the first six verses. And I want to read that with you if you have Bibles or, or apps, you might want to turn there. Revelation chapter 3, starting in verse 1. To the angel of the church in Sardis write, these are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your deeds. You have a reputation for being alive, but you are dead. Wake up. Strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard. Hold it fast and repent. But if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what time I will come to you. Yet you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. They will walk with me in, dressed in white, for they are worthy. The one who is victorious will, like them, be dressed in white. I will never blot out the name of that person from the book of life, but will acknowledge that name before my Father and his angels. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. It's a pretty, pretty strong letter written to the church in Sardis, right? 
Um, and, and I believe that, that all seven of the letters that Jesus dictated to seven different churches in the province of Asia that we find in the second and third chapters of Revelation, we don't get to look at it and say, oh, I'm, I'm this church, I don't need to worry about the other six letters. But I think all seven are written to every church. All seven are written to every follower of Jesus. We need to hear the messages that are in them. And, and I think the message in this one tells us that, that, um, that if, if we have areas in our heart that have slipped into slumber, we need to, he uses the word wake up, he uses the word repent. We need to, we need to deal with our sleepiness. And we need to be the church that he's called us to be, need to be the people he's called us to be. So, so today is kind of about uh, diagnosis. Okay, so two weeks ago, we kind of just introduced the subject of s- spiritual slumber as an as a, as a issue. But now we want to get into diagnosis. And when, when we get into diagnosis, it's, I mean, it's one thing to read about a disease or something on you know, mayoclinic.com or something. But when you're, when, when you move into a diagnosis phase, it gets a lot more personal, doesn't it? Do I see these symptoms in me, right? Do we see these symptoms in us? This is where it goes from being a nice theory, an interesting topic to God putting us on the surgery table, surgeon's table, and saying, we need to open you up here and have a look. Right? Um, So I want to encourage you once again, I did this two weeks ago as well, but I want to encourage you, this may be challenging for all of us to walk through this series, but... Don't close your ears. Open them to what the Spirit of God might be saying to you, to me, to us. Because um, the, only, the only way to get better is to admit what's there. Right? Okay. So here are some symptoms. Oh, you already got that. Thanks. Here are some symptoms that I want to suggest, I'm not saying they're all the symptoms, but some symptoms of a spirit of slumber. Struggle to believe the Bible. Um, and, I, and I don't just mean because you're, maybe you're here or maybe you're listening online today and you're a seeker and you're just like, I have no clue. What is this book anyways? And who is Jesus anyways? And and. You're struggling to believe because you've never crossed that line of faith. You're not the one I'm talking to today about this. I'm talking about those of us who've been on the journey for a while, but we've, we've become disillusioned with the Scriptures. We struggle to believe what God says in the Word because you know what we do sometimes? Is when what we're experiencing is less than what the Scripture says, 
we have two options. We have the option to say there's something wrong I need to take a look at, or we pull our theology down to our level of experience and say, oh, well, this is what they really meant because it makes me feel less challenged. Do you you understand what I'm saying? Feel a drowsiness or disinterest in church or scripture reading. And this this is literal, like a drowsiness. Like every time you go to read the Bible, it's just you can't stay awake. There's a, there's a fogginess, a drowsiness. Or, or I don't see too many people falling asleep in church, but, you know, once in a while. If you do, I'll throw something at you. I had a teacher in school that used to throw chalk at us if we fell asleep in class. Um, prayer and worship feel like going through the motions. You do it because you know you need to. Do it because you know you're supposed to. But there's no life there. Feeling dis, distant and disconnected from God. Not hearing or receiving from God or His Word. Lack of passion for the things of God or the mission of God. You can remember a time when all you wanted to do was tell people about Jesus. All you wanted to do was serve Him, but now you're just kind of, eh, eh. Fleshly desires are stronger than your desire to know God. Lack of clarity or purpose. You're just kind of going with the flow in your life. You You don't have a sense of, this is why I'm on the planet. This is what I'm, my life is about. Just kind of living, existing. Numb or apathetic about most things. Foggy-minded, especially when reading or praying. Can't seem to help making bad choices. Procrastinating or avoiding important things. I don't know if that's the last one or not. Oh, one more. Lack of joy or enthusiasm. just laying out a bunch of symptoms before we dig into what's, what's this all about. But now, I, let, me, let me try to, and, and say this like I did two weeks ago again. Um, Because oftentimes we, are, we can be in a defensive posture. If anybody suggests we're unspiritual or we're not, you know, whatever, we, we get really defensive. And, uh, and we, we 
explain away things because, um, yeah, it's, it's just not comfortable to be thought of in, in that way. So w- what I want to say is all of us have some of these symptoms sometimes. Okay? Don't, don't feel you have to take a defensive posture or, or that's the worst thing we can do, right? That's closing our ears to what the Spirit would say. But we want to open our ears. We want to say, God, maybe I'm, maybe I'm three of these describe my life right now and I'm stuck spiritually. Getting unstuck is not going to happen by pretending that we're not. Right? Okay. So, I have two major points today and then another list. Um, So, first major point is um, that the church in Sardis that we read about here and the church or the person who is under the influence of that satanic lullaby, under the influence of a spirit of slumber, is someone whose reputation is more important than their reality. You have, Jesus said to the church in Sardis, you have a reputation for being alive, but you are dead. So they had had worked hard to craft a reputation around themselves that they were spiritually vibrant and alive, but the reality was that it was hollow. There was not real spiritual life going on behind that facade, behind that, that, that image. And the reality is for all of us that, that oftentimes our reputation becomes more important than our reality, that we have become masterful at creating an image of ourselves to the world. Social media makes this more prevalent than ever before, more evident than ever before. Because on social media, you know, we put, we put all the beautiful pictures, all the heartwarming pictures, all the my life is going great pictures out there, right? And, and we have this, if someone was to look at, if you're, if you're on Facebook or Instagram, and someone was to look at your social media, they would say, oh, what a wonderful life you have. We don't generally tend to put our worst day on our social media. We put our best day on there, right? But this wasn't, um, you know, we've, we've become really amazing image managers of our lives, but this isn't a new problem. It's not a new thing. Jesus in in Matthew chapter 23, the whole chapter is is, um, stinging for the religious person. But we're going to pick out just a couple verses here, verses 25 to 28. 
And I don't know how to do this quickly, but, you know, in, in, in church, we, when we use the word Pharisee, it has become synonymous with hypocrite, right? And so we, we tend to always see the Pharisee as someone else, right? Generally someone in another church or, or another whole church of them. You know, we can, we can point down the, down the street and say, well, there's where all the Pharisees live, right? But the reality is the, the, the Pharisee movement in the New Testament, in the Gospels, the Pharisee movement was the closest thing to Jesus and what he taught in that day. I'm going to suggest to you that the, the Pharisees of our day are not some dead church down the street. They're, they're the evangelical church just as much as any other church. They're us. Okay? So, so as I'm reading this, don't shove it, shovel it over your shoulder. Right? Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. Now let's pause there for a moment. That's pretty, pretty strong. Woe to you, Pharisees of the law, uh, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. When Jesus is saying this 2,000 years ago in, in the Greek language that this was written in, there, there really wasn't a word for hypocrite. That, it's not really what he said. Hippocrates was the Greek word for actor. If you went to a, a Greek drama at a, at a you know, a, a, what do you call it? Amphitheater, Amphitheater thank you. Uh, you would see a bunch of actors, Hippocrates, and they, in, in Greek drama, they would put different masks on to play different parts. So let that image help us understand what Jesus is saying here. Um, he's calling these religious leaders people who put on masks and pretend to be someone they're not. Okay? Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they're full of greed and indulgence. So think of a cup, wash nice and clean, looks great, and then you look inside and it's moldy, putrid yuck, right? You're like, I want a glass of that. Uh, no, I don't, right? Um, so that's what he's saying. Is the, you wash the outside, but the inside is gross. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you Hippocrates, you actors. You are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of the bones of, de of the dead and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside, you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside, you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. I'm not saying that we are all hypocrites all the time. But we are all hypocrites some of the time. Amen. 
Abraham Lincoln said, you can fool all the people some of the time and some of the people all of the time, but you cannot fool all of the people all of the time. Right? I think Daffy Duck said that too, but... So as individuals, we learn pretty quickly how to blend in. We know the right words to use to sound spiritual. We know how to wear masks in church and then fall apart when we get home. We learn how to do that pretty quickly, right? So the idea is God wants integrity in our lives. He wants he wants the same thing on the outside as, on, as is on the inside. He wants us to be, to be pure who we are inside and out, right? Um, and as churches, we can live here too. We can live in a place of pretending. No, no one is as good as a Pentecostal, as a Pentecostal church, at talking about revival, and yet for most Pentecostal churches, revival is a distant memory. And we can only talk about it for so long without experiencing it before we start living in an alternate reality where we know that we should be revived and we want to be revived, but we're not sure we want to pay the price for revival and so we learn to live with a cognitive dissonance, it's called. With a, you know, living, living with one way of seeing the world when, when everyone else sees something else. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 4, 19 and 20, Paul says this to the church in Corinth, but I will come to you very soon if the Lord is willing. And then I will find out not only how these arrogant people are talking, but what power they have. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. Talk is cheap, but do we have the goods that we talk about? Vital questions that we need to ask. Those of you who are visiting today, I'm sorry. <laughs> But God is speaking to us as a church, and I believe it's because He has great things for us. But we need to shake off our slumber. And Jesus says, um, Yeah. Okay. Then Jesus says, um, I find your deeds incomplete. To this church that is asleep in Sardis, he says, I find your deeds incomplete. The church in Sardis had abandoned the mission for the sake of propping up their reputation. Propping up a reputation is exhausting. Because you have to, you have to make sure, you have to keep a bunch of plates spinning and make sure that everybody... You know, there's no chinks in your armor. Everybody thinks that you're doing great. And it's exhausting. And you can't do that and have real spiritual life at the same time. 
Last time we talked about the night in the Garden of Gethsemane when Jesus told his disciples to stay awake and pray so that temptation would not overtake them and three times they fell asleep. Luke gives us a clue as to why. The other two, Matthew and, and, and Mark, that also share, t- talk about this happening, don't give us any clues as to why. But Luke, Luke says, because they were exhausted from sorrow. So even though Jesus' disciples didn't totally get it when he had been telling them for weeks that he had to go to the cross, that he was going to suffer and die, that he was going to leave them. He'd been saying this for weeks and they still weren't totally getting it. Um, You know, at some level, it must have registered for them. They couldn't understand how, you know, why is this happening? They had a good thing going. Why didn't Jesus do something about, you know, this, th- these people that were after him? And they became disillusioned and disappointed, and their great sorrow led to slumber. See, disappointment can be a huge we- reason why we slide into slumber. And let me say this as plainly as I know how. I- I've I've been here for less than four years, um, but I've gathered at least enough understanding of, of kind of the history of this church and where it's been at and where it's at now that, I, that I, I think I see at least some of the dynamics that are at play for us. In 1984, this building was built because the congregation had totally, truly outgrown the building on King Ave. And when, they, when you moved into here, when the church moved into this building, it was growing. It was vibrant. It was, there were things happening. People were coming to Jesus. The church was growing significantly. Uh, in fact, there were two congregations that developed in this building, an English congregation and a French congregation. There was so much happening. And the French congregation became a church plant that became... Uh, Centre Chrétien Evangelique in, in Beresford. Um, and the church continued to grow. And God seemed to be doing amazing things in, in uh, Sunday services. There were dozens of children in Sunday school. There was a strong youth ministry. Um, the Holy Spirit was moving. And then, for whatever reason, things got out of balance, got out of focus, There were some moral failings. There were pastoral transitions. There was an economic slump. Some families moved away. And within a decade or two, the church went from flying high to a major valley. Am I I hitting it so far? Okay. Went from flying high to a major valley. And even though there has been a slow increase over the last couple of decades, the last decade or so, uh, it, it feels to many who have been here through the years like a major disappointment and sorrow. You stuck it in, you stuck it through, 
you kept things going, but it's hard to have the same passion when everything is tainted with the sense of loss. And I've become convinced that if we let the elephants sit in the room without talking about them, we will never move forward. The answer is not to pretend that we are where we were, but it's to find out where we are and where does God want to take us. When you, when you use Google Maps and you want to go somewhere, what are the two things that you have to put in there to get directions? Where you are and where you're going, right? And if you don't know both of those, you're not going to get where you want to go. And so I believe this series that we're walking through is about God saying, pull aside the facade, pull aside the curtain, let's look with honesty at where we are as individuals, as a church, let's allow God to give us a dream of where he wants to take us, because I know that there are great days in this church's past, but there are great days in this church's future. But we can't get there if we're chained to there. Some of the rest of you who are, you know, who, who know, have no idea what I'm talking about. You haven't walked through that history. I want to suggest to you this morning, you've got your own disappointments. You've got disappointments maybe in yourself. I thought I'd be further along than this by now. I used to be passionate for the Lord, but look at me now. I'm, I'm, I'm not there. Or maybe, maybe it's disappointments in a church, or maybe it's disappointment with God, because what you believed was going to happen didn't happen, and, and you, you just kind of stopped trusting Told you we were going to get honest here. And when we are full of sorrow, we either look at the sorrow so that we can move forward or we hibernate because that's a lot easier. So, I want to look, we're almost done, I want to look at another list, and this is a list, so we, so we already looked, we're going we're gonna to take another quick look at our symptoms list again before we're done this morning, but, but I want us to look at some of the causes of a spirit of slumber. One of them is disappointment, we just talked about, it. I think it's a major one, but it's not the only one. Of the common causes of spiritual slumber. Sorrow and disappointment. Complacency and spiritual disciplines. See, we don't get brownie points because we did our we ticked off our Bible reading and our our ten minute prayer time today or whatever. You know, like it's it's not a brownie point system. But it's a choice to stay connected like 
Matt was sharing last week about that abiding. It's a choice to stay connected, a choice to stay plugged in, a choice to say, God, I want to put you first. I want to give you the best, the best hour of my day. I want to give it to you, and I want to spend some time in your presence. And some days it will feel exciting, and some days it will feel monotonous, but I'm going to choose to do it because I know this keeps me connected. Desire for safety and security. This is a big one in our culture. Big, big. I think as North Americans, we need to ask, I mean, we need to look at our brothers and sisters that are in Iran or wherever And we need to be challenged and inspired by their lives. We need to be able to say, if serving Jesus means I lose everything, am I still willing to serve Him? Am I a fair-weather follower? Or am I in this for good? Right? Prayerlessness not knowing the Father. Prayerless, pr- again, prayer time is not about checking off our duties, our religious duties for the day. They're about knowing the Father. It's what it's all about, folks. Do you know your heavenly Father? Because if you know Him, you can't fall asleep. Overconfidence in organization. This is more for as, as a church. Man, we are, we are good as the North American church at, at organizing ourselves so that we can, church can happen without Jesus easily. Right? And we need to guard against that. We need to make sure that, that we're not we're not just putting together a slick program and, and leaving Jesus outside. Trusting the power of human effort. That's a little more personal. God, I, I can do this. I can do this. Compromise. Letting the culture set our agenda. Survival mode. On a personal level, just get me through today. Just get me through this week. On a organization, church organizational level, perpetuating the organization instead of doing the mission. The church doesn't have a mission. The mission has a church. We, you know, we tend to think, wow, Evangel Bathurst has to continue to exist. I mean, just because it's, it's a great church and it just has to continue to exist. And, oh yeah, we need to do some stuff out in the community too. We better not forget that. It's how we tend to think about this thing. 
But it's not, Evangel Bathurst doesn't have to continue to exist. And if we don't do the mission, it won't continue to exist, right? Like it, it's, but the mission has to exist. God is on a mission to reach lost people with the hope of Jesus because he's the only hope of the world. And in order to do that, in order for that mission to be accomplished, God said, hey, I got a great idea. Let's, let's build a church. And they're gonna, their primary reason to exist is going to go to do this thing called the mission. So you might be, you know, we're, we're at the end of our time. We're about where I figured we'd be. Um, and you might be going, well, that's not helpful. You didn't give us any answers. Where do we go from here, right? You ever go to the doctor and get a, you know, you get a bunch of tests done? And then, then there's that really challenging, you know, week, two weeks, month that you're waiting for the sit down with the doctor to find out what does this mean? Where do we go from here? Right? That's what this week is going to be. <laughs> but in that week, or two weeks, or whatever it is, between your tests and your sit-down, I guarantee you there's some things going on in your mind and heart. You're thinking through, what might this mean? What do I do if? Right? And so I want to challenge you. This is not just another sermon. I want to challenge you. This is, this is the time to sit with the information that we have right now and say, God, what in this symptom list is me? What in this common cause list is me? When we come back together next week, I've got, I've got a few ideas of where we're going, but I told you two weeks ago, this, this thing is shaping itself as we go because God is talking to us as we go. Um, so I don't, I don't even know everything I'm going to say next week, but, but I believe God's going to lead us to, to say, okay, what do we do with this? What do we do if? So next week, we're going to look at prognosis. Then we got Mother's Day, and Pastor Pam is going to be preaching. Yay! And, uh, and then we're going to talk about cure for slumber, and then Pentecost Sunday, fresh fire. It's where we're going. I'm going to ask um, these two ladies to come. And we're going to just put this in front of you one more time. Just a tip, if, you, if, this, if I moved on from this slide too quickly and you wanted this information, just pull your phone out, take a picture. It lasts longer. Um, but I, let's stand. I'm going to leave this in front of us as we, as we pray. And as we, I guess once they start singing...
they're going to put some lyrics up on the screen, I guess, so you might not still see it, but... Um, yeah. God, thank you. Thank you for loving us enough to not leave us in our ruts. Thank you for loving us enough that everything we know about you is that you pursue those who are in the miry clay, who are stuck in the muck. That Jesus, the whole reason that we worship you is because you came from heaven. You came seeking the broken and the lost and the sick and the... And yes, the hypocrites came seeking us. Came seeking the slumbering. God, I pray over the next week that our spiritual ears would be open to hear what the Spirit would say. And that God, you would, you would awaken us in the areas in our heart where we've drifted off to sleep. You would, you would teach us to silence the satanic lullaby and that the roar of heaven would begin to rise in our hearts and that we would hear, God, your call to be who you've called us to be and go where you've called us to go. Awaken your people, God, I pray, because the lost around us need to be awakened as well. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.